Revelations chapter 3. Uh, if y'all have enjoyed this series, say, yeah, I have, yeah, I have. Um, we're on week number six. <clears throat> we have uh, six, and then we have seven to go. And uh, I'm contemplating, uh, I'm, I'm playing around with the idea of extending it uh, one more week because there's, there's kind of a different approach that, um, that some people take to these letters, and I've considered um, just kind of going through, and, and I'll talk a little bit about it tonight, but some people look at each church as representing a, um, a church period or a, a time in church history. And it's amazing how each church, as you overlay it from the first and as you walk through the centuries, that it lines up with kind of the condition of the church as well. And so I've toyed around with the idea of going and doing that. I don't know. We're just going to just listen to the Holy Spirit leading on that. And, uh, and if I feel like the Lord's leading us to do that, we'll, we'll do that uh, on, we'll just make it an eight-week series, make it something uh, nice, and, nice and round, a good round number there. So let's go. Uh, verse number seven, it says this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, remember angel is that word messenger, so he's writing to the pastor, he says this, and, and to the pastor, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these are the words of him who is holy and true, you may underline that word holy, it's going to be important for tonight's message, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars." I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command and endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth and the world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar and underline, highlight, circle that word pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember, that's plural. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That very last line is that indication that this word is still uh, applicable to us today. Let's pray for this word. Lord, thank you for this word. God, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would open every ear, open every heart, open every mind to receive your word. Change us and challenge us in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. I'm going to move that bottle of water because I know myself. I'm going to end up kicking it off the stage, and then ain't going to be good. So here we are, second to last week of this series, A Letter to the Churches. And we've been looking at the seven letters to the seven churches uh, in Asia. And all of these letters, I'm going to do a brief recap for anybody who hasn't been here. Maybe it's your first night. Here's a brief recap. These are the letters that were written around 90 A.D., by the last remaining apostle, the Apostle John, who's been banished to the island of Patmos, 
because they tried to boil him and kill him, and he kept preaching as he was boiling. They said, this guy won't die. Let's banish him to this island to live out his last days. So he's living out his last days on the island of Patmos. And uh, as he is living out the last days, Jesus comes to him in a vision, in a revelation, hence the name of the book, uh, Revelation. And in the beginning of this book, he says, I want you to write a letter. I'm going to speak to the seven churches in Asia, and I, I want to write a letter. And in every letter, he would kind of give them some praise which we've been calling the commendation. And then he would give them some correction because they were doing some things wrong. Then he would give them a counsel. He would tell them how they could fix it. And then he would give them a promise. He would say, if you do all these things, this is what you are going to get. And in each letter, there were specific things that he said to each church that was pertinent to each city. And I love these last two letters. Uh, next week's gonna be a, a great week because if you've, you've probably... And some of you are reading ahead, and, and I love it. I've talked to a lot of you. You said, yeah, I keep reading ahead, and I'm like, I wonder what he's going to say about, about this. Next week, you've probably heard preached um, a couple of ways, and I've preached it wrong. I'm going to be honest. I've preached next week's message wrong. And I've, I've even think in some, in some respects gotten this wrong in the past. But um, I, I've done some deep study, and we're going we're gonna to take a dive into the Word of God tonight. Amen? You ready? Here's what's interesting is that... Um, Tonight, as we focus on the church of Philadelphia, if you do a study on this, and, and if you were to do a research of three different commentators or three different theologians, is what you would find is you would find probably three different interpretations of this passage of Scripture. This is one that this week that I prayed harder about this message and what God wanted to say to Restoration Church through this message tonight, because I say, God, I've got to get this right. I don't want to take and manipulate this scripture to be something that, you know, because I've, I've heard this scripture manipulated and twisted, and I said, God, I don't want to do that. Lord, help me see, God, through a historical context, what you were saying to the church of Philadelphia. And tonight, I believe, I believe, because all there's some things that the commentators all agreed on, so that's what we're going to focus in on tonight, and I believe that God's going to speak to you. Let me give you a little background on the city, on the city of Philadelphia. It was established in uh, 189 B.C. by King Eumenes II of Pergamum. Eumenes uh, II named the city Philadelphia. How many of you know what the city, the name means? City of, yeah, there you go. You guys are good. He named it this because of his love for his brother, Atlas II, who would be his successor. Philadelphia was established as this, and this is the whole hinge point for this message. You need to get this. Philadelphia was established as a gateway city. It was on the, the far east border of the once Greek-ruled territory. And the Greeks used this city as a gateway for carrying Greek culture beyond the walls and further east deeper into Asia. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you're writing notes, you may just say gateway city door. Philadelphia was also prone to earthquakes, so much so that the people were scared to live inside the city walls because of the collapsing infrastructure. Jesus writes this letter to the church through John, 
And this letter breaks slightly because of the format that I told you earlier that was the commendation, correction, counsel, promise, because in this that there is no correction. There is no, hey, look, you're doing all this right, but you need to get this right. Jesus only gives them the commendation. He only gives them the praise. He only says, hey, church in Philadelphia, you're doing a great job. You're holding tight. He gives them a little counsel. He says, you're going to have to hold through this. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of that synagogue of Satan, those Jews that call themselves Jews, but really are not, but they are, they are liars. And, and I'm going to take care of them. And then he, he gives them even some of the promise. But there is no correction in the letter because it's a church that is on mission. It is a church that's the opposite of Pergamum, that Pergamum had this reputation of being alive, but the Bible says that they were dead and they weren't on mission. But Jesus points out that this church is a church that is on mission. So he starts the letter with this. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. And see, I have placed you before you an open door. Come on, somebody say open door. I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Jesus writes to a gateway city, a city known for carrying culture beyond its borders. And he says, look, I've set before you a door. So he says to a city that clearly understands or understood what their purpose at one point was, it was to carry Greek culture beyond its borders and beyond its walls further east. He says, look, I've set before you an open door. And the church of Philadelphia would have no doubt understood what the meaning of those words was were, where we have to dig for the meaning and look deeper, they would have known. Because what were Jesus's last words on earth? He said, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. And now he echoes his last words that he would say on earth. Now from heaven, he echoes those words. And he says, I have set before you an open door, an opportunity to carry the gospel beyond where you live. And when I open that door, no man can shut it. I would pause for just a minute and I would say that there's no legislation, that there's no lobbying group, that there's no institution, that there's no system, that there's no ruler, that there is nothing that can stop a move of God. If he's ordained it, if he has established it, there is nothing that can stop it. At Restoration, I believe that we're in the move of God. And I believe that there is no one that can close the door that God has opened for Restoration Church. God opened a door for the church of Philadelphia so they would carry the gospel beyond its borders and to the end of the earth. And I believe that God has opened doors for Restoration Church, not just to meet inside the four walls of our building, but he set before us an open door that we would get outside of the four walls and carry the gospel to the world. Come on, is there anybody that believes it tonight? Because if we really want to see open doors in our life, we have to attach it to the mission and to the purpose 
of Christ. Can I say that again? If we really want to see open doors in our life, we have to attach it to the mission and the purpose of Christ. Because it's easy to read this letter and to immediately begin to think about the temporal, to immediately begin to think about the here and now, the carnal. We go to a career. We begin to think about spouse. We begin to think about finances or personal life. And we begin to go, oh, we get excited. God's about to open doors of opportunity. Oh man, he's preaching this message. That means I'm about to get that promotion. I'm about to, and automatically our mind begins to go to the carnal. But what God is talking about has nothing to do with the temporal, but it has everything to do with the eternal. And any door that God opens, hear me, is for his glory. It's not for my glory. It's not about what I'm going to get or what I'm going to receive. And in the process, I might get the promotion. I might get the raise. I might get whatever. I might get the influence, but it's not about me. It's about his glory. And our major temptation is that we view things through the temporal while God views things through the eternal. And if I think that you could say anything about this letter is that Jesus keeps coming back to the eternal. It's not about the temporal. It's about the eternal. We focus on how it affects us and our lives, the here and now, and God looks at it, how it impacts the kingdom of heaven. I feel like I need to say that again because we focus on how it affects us, our lives, the here and now, but God looks at how it impacts the kingdom of heaven. We view things in our earthly realm and time and space while God has this eternal view that if we will capture a glimpse of what he is doing, it will change the way that we approach life, the doors of life, the opportunities of life, the way we pray and our whole purpose. Come on, somebody say amen. You don't believe me on the eternal? Watch this. He opens a whole letter by establishing eternity. He says this. These are the words of him who is holy. Come on, somebody say holy. What does this word holy mean? This, this word holy means set apart. And when we talk about a God who is set apart, we're talking about a God that is outside of our time and realm and space, and he's not uh, touched or impacted by sin. He is set apart. He is saying, look, I am the one who is eternal. I am the one who was and is and is to come. These are the words of the one who is holy, set apart, beginning, and I am eternal. He establishes this whole letter with eternity. And then he says this. He says, these are the words of the one who is holy and true and holds the key of David. Now watch this. I'm building my case here. You with me? Say I'm with you. Most every reference to keys in the New Testament deals with the eternal. Watch this. Matthew 16 verse 19 says, I will give you the keys to what? The kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? It's eternal. He says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Keys deal with eternal. Don't believe me? Let's go one more. Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forevermore. I am eternal. What does he say? And I hold the keys of what? Death and Hades. I hold the keys of eternity. I hold the keys of the kingdom of heaven and I'm giving them to you, and I'll hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. 
Because Jesus wants to make it clear as he opens this letter, it's not about the temporal, it's about the eternal. He took a hold of the keys of death. He took a hold of the keys of hell, of the eternal. And I love this because he gave the keys of heaven to us. What are the keys? It's confessing and it is believing. Because in this passage of scripture in Matthew 16, he's having a conversation with Peter. And he says, Peter, who do people say I am? And he says, oh, well, some say that you're Elijah. And, you know, some say you're this prophet. And he says, some say you are Moses. And he said, okay, but Peter, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? He said, you are the son of the living. God, you are the Messiah. And when he says this, Jesus turns to him and he says, look, you are Peter and and you are the person on whom I will build my rock. Well, what does that relate to us? It relates to us that the rock that the church is built on is confessing and believing. What are the keys to the kingdom of God? It is confessing and believing. And when we have that, we can unlock the doors of salvation and to heaven for people. And it's our job to go into the world and unlock the doors of heaven for a lost and dying world. It's our job, it's our mission, it's our mandate to unlock eternal life for those around us. Let me take this one further. Let me drive home this point of it being about the eternal versus the temporal. Because Jesus says this, he says, I hold the keys of David. This is only referenced one other time, and and I'm going to read quite a bit of Scripture, but I want you to stay with me because this is what it all leads to. Because you may have even read this before, and you may have said, what in the world are the keys of David? You know what? I'm glad you asked. Let's look. Here we go. Isaiah 22, verse 15. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Go, say to this steward, to Shebna. Come on, somebody say Shebna. Shebna, the palace administrator. So he's the palace administrator. He has the key to everything in the palace. He has the key. He's, he is the key holder. He has access and authority to everything. If you need access to something you need in a room, you track down Shebna. Shebna, I need to get in this room. He's the dude. He's got it. He, he oversees the money. The fine. He, he has authority to do what he wants to do. He is the palace administrator. This is what the Lord said to him. What are you doing here? And who gave you permission to cut out a grave for yourself here? Hewing out a grave on the height and chiseling out a resting place for you in the rock. You say, what does this mean? What Shebna was doing is Shebna was building himself a grave with the kings. Shebna was carving out this elaborate grave where he would be buried. He didn't have any right to be buried there. He was misusing all of the palace funds. He was uh, taking things upon himself and, and misappropriating and using his power and authority. And here he is, he's building a grave for himself. And the Lord said this, beware, the Lord is about to take firm hold of you and hurl you away, mighty man. He will roll you away tightly like a ball and throw you into a large country. And there you will die. And there the chariots you were so proud of will become a disgrace to your master's house. You're like, man, that's harsh, right? Verse 19, I will depose you from your office and you will be ousted from your position. But watch this, verse 20. In that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him in your robe and fasten your sash around him and your authority over him. He will be a father to those who live. Notice all this. He's going to be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and the people of Judah. And I will place on him and his shoulder, what? The key to the house 
of David. And I think you'll recognize this because we read it earlier. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And I will drive him like a peg into a firm place, and he will become a seat of honor for the house of his father. All the glory of his family will hang on him, its offsprings, its offshoots, all its lesser vessels from the bowls and the jars. So let's do a contrast and comparison here. Shebna. Shebna was all about the temporal. Shebna focused on the here and the now, how the power and authority could benefit him. He was given control over the whole palace and he used it for his advantage. Listen to me, and not the advantage of the kingdom. He used it to serve himself and not the people of God. Number two, watch this. He was focused on death. He built himself a grave where kings and royalty would be buried. He was focusing on death. He was building a grave as a monument. And then third, he was self-centered. He served himself, his agenda, and his plans and his will. Can I tell you that this is, why, this is not why God gives you the keys of the kingdom? God doesn't give you the keys of the kingdom and God doesn't open doors for you to serve yourself and your purpose and your, uh, your will, what you want to do. No, God has put us in this position to serve his kingdom and expand his kingdom and go unlock the doors for other people and go, hey, here's salvation. Here's a man named Jesus. This is what he did for me. But so many times we'll try to use Christianity or we'll try to use this power and authority that he's given us and we try to make it about ourselves rather than making it about others because our purpose is attached to other people's purpose. But he was self-centered and he focused on death. But what does God want us to do? God wants us to focus on life because he focused on death and he wanted to be glorified in death. And when I die, I want to have this monument that people uh, look to and they remember me in my death. But what I want to do is pass down a legacy that is remembered in life. I want to build things that are going to live on that's not going to be a grave, but I want to pour and invest myself into the next generation. And that's why we believe in the next generation is because our monument is the next generation that we're going to raise up that's going to serve God, love God, and rest church marches on into the future. Why? Because we are a church that is on mission. So what did Eliakim do? Watch this. Eliakim, he stewarded well. He was all about serving others and serving people. He realized that the keys that God has given me are not about me, but it's about serving others. Because he did that, you see that others were exalted this passage of scripture, it says that it says that he will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. He was blessing others. Why? Because of his faithfulness, because of his obedience. And third thing that he did that happened for him is he was given a seat of honor. Can I tell you this, that if you will do the will of God, you don't have to try to work and fight for places of authority. You don't have to work and strive and fight for places of honor or recognition or influence or raises. If you will attach yourself to the will and the purpose of God, and as God opens a door for you, you realize this is more about God getting the glory than it is me getting influenced and me getting a raise than me getting this. The open door is for God's glory and will attach our purpose 
purpose to his purpose, I promise you, he's going to fling doors wide open for you. And the doors that he opens, no man can shut. Because that's the God that I serve. He gives a seat of honor when we will obey and follow his will. Eliakim was blessed in the temporal because he obeyed and honored God in the eternal. But others were also blessed because of his obedience. I think it's crazy that this city is called the city of brotherly love and there is no correction. All God does is praise them for being on mission. And here they're called the city of brotherly love. They're the city that is loving others. They're the city that is on mission that took the heart of Jesus and said, I'm just going to love people. I'm going to take this open door and we're going to walk through it. We're going to take the gospel to the ends of the world. So concerning doors, concerning doors, watch this. In the New Testament, this is what the, it's always attached to mission and gospel, almost always attached to mission and gospel. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, because a great door of what? for effective work has opened to me. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he's like, he's, he's telling uh, the church in Ephesus uh, or the first church in Corinthians that I'm going to the church in Ephesus, and I'm going to stay there for a while. Why? Because a great door of effective work has opened to me, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to be there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2.12, he says this, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had what? opened a door for me. What was that door? It was the door to preach and carry the gospel. Colossians 4.3, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for what? For our message. When God opens a door, it's to carry the purpose and the Christ forward so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. When God opens a door so that we can carry his purpose, his message forward. Open doors are for expanding the kingdom of God. It's not about expanding our kingdom, but expanding his kingdom. It's not about a bigger paycheck. It's not about personal influence. It's not about letters next to our name. It's about expanding his kingdom, and his kingdom is eternal. It's not temporal. God wants to do for you just like he did for Eliakim and put you in positions of influence and authority. But as we pray for open doors of opportunity, we have to be sure that that prayer is not self-seeking, but it's a prayer that serves the kingdom of God. Come on, are you getting anything out of this tonight? If God opens a new door for business, use it for his glory. When you make millions... Sow it back into the house of God. Sow it back into people's lives. Sow it back into the kingdom to make a difference. If God gives you a seed of influence in our city, use it to impact the kingdom of God. What good are keys that he has given us if we are not using them to impact the world around us? God has given us the keys of heaven to open the doors of salvation for people. So here's the promise. You see this, I'm building this whole thing. Keys are eternal. Doors are eternal. He says, I'm holy. I'm the one that holds the, the key of David. It's all dealing with an eternal purpose, with the kingdom that is not of this world. So here's the promise. Remember, every promise and every letter that we've looked at has been this. It's been eternal. It's the life after this life, if you will. So here's the promise. He says, the one who is victorious 
I will make a temp, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. So when this life is done, when we are in eternity, the new heaven and the earth has come. He says, I'm going to make you a, a pillar. Make you a pillar in the temple in the house of my God. Because I want you to think about this. Think about, remember that this city was known for earthquakes. So much so that the people would not live inside of the walls of the city. And if you can kind of picture in your mind these Roman and Greek architecture that the columns. And, you know, you can kind of see these columns and how they're even built in these sections. And, the, you know, obviously they're, they're stone, and they're, but they're built in these sections. So as that earthquake comes, they kind of tilt and shake. And a lot of times, even if you look at pictures of ruins, what you'll see is that you see just these sections of columns laying over because earthquakes came along. And over time, storms or whatever came along, and they would blow over. They would blow over these pillars. They would blow over these columns. But Jesus says, I'm going to make you a, a pillar. You'll be a pillar in the temple of my God. And this is what I would believe that God was saying. Because when you read Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. At that time, his voice shook the earth, the temporal. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate, watch this, the removing of, of what can be shaken. That's the created thing. That's the temporal. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Listen. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. What is this saying? This world is temporal and everything in it can be shaken. But we're headed to a place that cannot be shaken. And when we live in a world that everything that is, is being shaken and, and, and it can be tough to live and emotionally we, we hurt and we go through things and, you know, we, we sin and we mess up and there's all this stuff. We can be shaken, but I'm thankful that there comes a day that I'll be like a pillar in the house of God where everything that can be shaken has now passed away and I stand in a kingdom that cannot be shaken where the sorrows, the sadness, the hurts, the pains of this world cannot shake me. I'm going to a kingdom that can't be shaken. He's saying it's about a different kingdom. It's not about this temporal. It's not about what you have in the here and now, but I'm taking you to a place where the things of this world will have no effect on you. The temporal is going to shake away and be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to rule with Christ. But tonight, we got to be about his business, amen? We got to open the kingdom to as many people as we can. It's about expanding God's kingdom one person at a time, one open door at a time, one life at a time, one soul at a time. Because here's what I want 
I want when God sees Restoration Church that he commends us the way that he commended the church in Philadelphia. He goes, hey, Restoration Church to the church in Frisco. Good job. You gave of of what you had and you sowed into ministries around the world. In your city, you were faithful to steward the influence that I gave you. And to see hearts and lives changed. I want him to say, I don't don't want the the correction. I just want him to come in and go, you are a church that is on mission. You are a church that is on fire. You You are a church that stepped into a move of God and you stewarded it well. And the doors that I opened for you, every door you walked through. Come on, can we be a church that walks through open doors?